This morning we continue actually with the last chapter of the book of Genesis. We have studying we have been studying the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. There we see four great events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the establishment of the different nations. And we're studying four great people. We've studied the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and we're now in the last chapter studying the book on the life of Joseph. We have discovered that true blessing really comes from knowing God's promises through His Word, obeying God, God's way, waiting for God's time, and the result will be God's best. The moment we disrupt this recipe, if you will, the probability is very high that you and I will not get what? God's best. So if you want God's best, trust God, God's word, God's promises, trust God's ways, and trust God's time. And it will bring about God's best. The life of Joseph is very topsy-turvy, upside down, highs and lows, cool and cool and hot. You're born as the favorite son. You are betrayed by your brothers. You are sold by your own brothers as a slave. It's a good thing they just sold him because the original plot was to kill him. They sold him as a slave. In jail, he was promoted to be trustworthy in jail. Right? And then he was promoted to a house manager. He was falsely accused. And then he was put in jail. And then he got promoted in jail. But he was forgotten. After two years, however, imagine somebody forgot you for two years. What if you told your young person, just wait there up in Big Bear. I will pick you up. Don't ride with the bus. I'll pick you up so that you and I can, you know, have bonding time as we drive down. And then 2018, <laughs> that's the time. Oh, my son is there. You've been forgotten for two years. But then what happens after these two years? He's promoted. He's promoted to the number two in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh did not mind anything because he noticed Pharaoh, the pagan ruler of Egypt, observed that God was with Joseph. And because God was with Joseph, everything that he did was blessed. If this is your kind of your mayordoma in the house, this is your maid in the house, you can go out. Why? You have peace, peace of mind, because this person is trustworthy. Why can my wife and I and my other two children, you know, be at peace that our eldest boy and his wife is still living in the Philippines? Why? Because we have a trusted maid over there. Sometimes she oversteps. She thinks that she's the parent. 
So they bump heads, bump ideas with my 34-year-old son who is about 5'10 and 200 pounds. But I can stay here and have some kind of peace that somebody, aside from me and my wife, is taking care of our firstborn child. Joseph was such a person. Pharaoh did not bother with anything in the kingdom because Joseph was in charge. It was Joseph who told him, Your dream? Only God can interpret your dream. So here is what God has to say about your dream. Seven years, there will be plenty. Followed by seven years of total devastation. Total drought. So what do you propose to do? Joseph says, well, in the seven years of plenty, you must store up. So that when the seven years of drought come, you have food. Good idea. Why don't you take charge of that project? Imagine. Why? Because God was with Joseph. And everything that he did was blessed. In Genesis 49, we read that, and I titled it last week as, I foretold you so. Here in Genesis 49, we read about Joseph's father. The last days of Joseph's father, Jacob. And in Genesis 49, then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what will befall you in the days to come. Gather together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to your father. So J Jacob, his name is now Israel, called all of his sons to be with him, and he was going to give them. This is what's going to happen to you. That's why the message was entitled what? I foretold you so. I'm, I'm telling you now what's going to happen to you. So he gives them a picture of what is to happen to each of them. And you notice, Reuben was like this. Simeon and Levi was like this. Like this. Joseph was like this. But then there was one whom we took notice of last week. His prophecy about his son, Judah. Judah, your brother shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is lion's whelp from the prey, my son. You have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who dares rouse him up? Now, why Judah? Of the twelve sons, why Judah? Joseph was the favorite. But why did his siblings praise him? Why is his future that his siblings will bow down to him? Why? What, 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 what's so different with Judah? Look. He suggested to sell Joseph in Genesis 37. In Genesis 38, he married a Canaanite woman against the wishes of his father. You're supposed to marry within your clan. Don't marry from outside. But what did he do? He disobeyed. When his wife died, what did he do? He slept with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Oh, is this the kind of 
biodata, your CV that you will present. For example, you're, you, you're applying for a job. Oh, this is my biodata. I, I sold my brother. Uh, I married outside of our family. And I uh, slept with uh, my own daughter-in-law. So you must hire me because I'm such a good person. Well, there was some kind of recovery at the end. He took the place of Benjamin. When Joseph had not yet disclosed who he was, he said, you get your father, you bring him. You leave Benjamin. And Judah said, please, if my father does not see Benjamin with us, it will be the death of him. So I will stay in his stead. Ah, may recovery. Right? But why Judah? Why? Why not somebody else? You see, Ishmael, Isaac over Ishmael. Who is the firstborn? Ishmael. But Ishmael was the firstborn by Hagar, the slave woman. Why Jacob over Esau? Esau is the firstborn. Jacob was the one pulling at his heel, the deceiver, the supplanter. Why Joseph over Reuben? Reuben is the firstborn. He should be the one to get the blessing. But why was Joseph the favored one? Why Ephraim over Manasseh? Manasseh is the firstborn of the two children, the two sons born to Joseph while he was in Egypt. Why? What is the great equalizer? What is the common denominator? God's sovereign grace. God has a plan. He has a big plan. And our eyes are very, many times you call it what? Tunnel vision. This, this is the only thing I see. So I don't see the bigger plan. But God knows the bigger plan. And His plan will succeed with or without our cooperation. So I suggest, if God reveals to you His plan, I suggest you cooperate with God. And what is the plan of God? Why Judah? Look. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Who is the lion of Judah? Jesus Christ. So why is Judah the one going to be praised? Because from the tribe of Judah comes the lion of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So if you just take a look at that portion, you will not know the big picture. God has a big plan. And all of these little details, He is putting into place. Because His plan will succeed. Now the title of the message this morning in Genesis 50 is, Who do they say I am? Who do they say I am? Who will people say? What will people say about you? Fair question? Fair question. Let me share with you a story about two evil brothers and a pastor. Now, these two evil brothers, gangster type, bad people. There was the pastor. He was pastor. The old pastor had retired. The new pastor comes in. But the, the church building is in a mess. So they need to raise some funds to repair the building. Right? So that's the background. All of a sudden, 
one of the brothers died. The remaining brother sought out the new pastor the day before the funeral and handed him a check for the amount needed to finish paying for the new building. Oh, you like that? You like that? All of a sudden, all of your uh, maintenance problems are solved. Here's this guy going to give you a check to complete your building project. Now, the only problem is the source. The source is an evil person, maybe a gambler, drug dealer, etc., etc. Right? So you're the new pastor. This is going to be a feather in your cap. Oh, no. Building fund? Sold! Right? What happens? I have only one. Oi. I have only one condition, he said. At his funeral, you must say, what? My brother is a saint. My brother was a saint. You will accept the challenge? But wait, the building is going to be finished. The congregation will be happy. Right? Hopefully nobody from your congregation will go to the funeral. Right? Okay. What's the condition? I will give you all the money you need to finish the project on one condition. At the funeral, which is tomorrow, you will say, my brother was a saint. The pastor gave his word, deposited the check. Ah, commitment na. Right? Diniposita. You already deposited the check. So now what, you, what you must you do? You must make good. Right? The next day at the funeral, the pastor did not hold back. He was an evil man, he said. He cheated on his wife and abused his family. After going on in this vein for a small time, he concluded, Wait, what if you're the surviving brother? I paid this guy to tell the people that my brother is a saint. I paid him. He cast the check. What is he saying? My brother is an evil man. My brother cheated on his wife. My brother abused his family. And he goes on, he goes on. And then he concluded, but compared to his brother, he was a saint. Okay? Did he fulfill the bargain? Yes. What was the deal? Take the money, tell them my brother was a saint. And what did he do? Oh, this guy is this, this guy is that, this guy is worse. But this guy, compared to this guy, he's a saint. What will they say? What will they say of you? What will they say when Joseph's time to die comes? What will they say when your time and my time comes? Genesis 49 verse 33. But before we continue, let's pray. God, we just want to thank you for allowing us the freedom to study your word. Lord, may all of us listen to your word. And take it to heart, Lord, what you need, what you want for us to do. So that the glory goes to you, Lord God. Again, we, I remind myself of Aaron, of Alvin, and the young people, God. Just be with them, Lord, we ask. Go before us, Lord. Give us wisdom and understanding. But above all, obedience to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.
So in the last verse of Genesis 49, Jacob finished charging his sons. He drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Jacob, giving his last instructions to his children, gathered in strength to bring his feet up in the bed and died. Genesis 50, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. Did Joseph love his father Jacob? Yes. Some of us, our relationships are very strained. Some things may have happened to us. And when we get word that our father or maybe even our mother had passed away, we don't even bother to go to the funeral. Because we have lost all love, we have lost respect. Booting up. He deserved it. Joseph, on the other hand, loved his father. Even the many years that they were not together because he was enslaved in Egypt and then he became the ruler of Egypt when they were reunited. God blessed them with that time because Jacob said, I never expected to see you. And now I get to see you and to see your children. So was Jacob blessed? Was Joseph blessed? Yes. That he was even able to see his own father. Even to the point of his father's death. And when his father died, he wept and kissed him. Now Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. So they preserved Jacob's body. Now these are not the modern type of embalming. So what do they use? They use myrrh. When Jesus Christ was born in a manger, the Magi brought him treasures of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So myrrh is an embalming agent. That is what they use over there. He called the servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so they embalmed him. Now, 40 days were required for it, for such is the period required for embalming. So, how many days? 40 days to embalm the body. Right? How many days did the Egyptians cry? Joseph was not an Egyptian. Jacob was not an Egyptian. I have this habit in Manila before. You, if you subscribe to the Manila Bulletin, I read the obituary. I might get surprised. I, I might see my name. So I read. Because sometimes you never... This name... I think I know this person. It so happened, one time I was reading and I told my wife, I think this is the father of your college classmate. Long story short, I was correct. You see, you don't get affected if you see names, right? Huh. You flip through. But once you see a familiar name, oh no, 
you're affected. These Egyptians, I would suggest that Joseph had such a good reputation because he was the one who was able to preserve them. Of course, God, through Joseph, to preserve them, that he was greatly loved. That when Jacob, his father, died, look, they wept for Joseph for 70 days. Why would you weep for someone you don't love? Right? Some of us, ano ba sa English yung mababaw ang luha? Light tears. Shallow tears. You see somebody, you know, you see somebody, the lips is just about to quiver. You don't even see the, 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 the tears yet. And then you're already crying also. Right? Look at these people. More weeping with Joseph about his loss. Jacob was not their father. Jacob was Joseph's father. When the days of mourning for him were past. Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh. If now I have found favor in your sight, please speak to Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am about to die in my grave which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father. Then I will return. What did Joseph do? He told his servants to go to Pharaoh and ask for permission for him. Right? Isn't Joseph number two? Yes? Isn't Pharaoh at peace with whatever Joseph decides? Yes. But you see, his position, his authority did not go to his head. He still knew that there was someone higher than him. He could have easily said, okay, bring my horses, bring my chariots, I'm going to bring my father uh, back to Canaan because that was his request before he died. Who would question him? No one. Why? Everybody knew that Pharaoh put him in charge. Right? But he was humble enough to acknowledge that there is someone higher than him. So please, go to Pharaoh. Tell him these were the last things that my father told me when he was still alive that he should be buried in Canaan. Ask permission for man on my behalf and tell him when I have completed what I have promised to my father that I will return. Here is a guy who is powerful but he knows his place. He knows that he is accountable to a higher power. And his promise is, if you let me go, I will do what I need to do, and I will come back. Then he charged them, saying, in, in Genesis 49, this is what his father Jacob asked Joseph to do. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave which is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite for a burial site. 
So this burial site was already prepared by his great-grandfather, was it? Or grandfather for the burial site. So this was already prepared. And before Jacob passed, he said, you must bury me in this place. So you, ca you cannot just be buried in uh, Forest Lawn or Rose Hills. It has to be in this particular burial site. Okay? So Jacob is now dead. He must now be buried in this particular site. So he sent somebody to ask permission. Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. Pharaoh got to meet Jacob. Do you remember that? When they came in, he met, they met each other. Pharaoh even asked him, so how old are you? Oy, my life compared to my father and my grandfather are shorter. And they have more pain and suffering. Remember, Jacob is a supplanter, a deceiver, a schemer. He went through so many stuff that he should not have gone through. Because what? He messed up the recipe. So Pharaoh gives him his go signal. So Joseph went up to bury his father with him, went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the household of Joseph, and his brothers, and his father's household. They left only the little ones and their flocks and their herds in the land of Goshen. So who was the funeral assembly? According to the passage. How many? Almost everybody was there. Almost everybody was there. What does that tell you? What do funerals tell you when you have this company of mourners accompanying the casket? This person is loved. This person is admired. Now, who is this person? Jacob. But who is Jacob? The father of Joseph. So we mourn with Joseph. Now, if, if you die, and it's only the gardener of Loyola Memorial Park who is present at your wake and your funeral. That's why the government, when there are people, you know, they find people dead in the streets. They try to post nothing. Where do they bury the person? In what is called the potter's field. John Doe, Jane Doe, they don't even know who this person is, but the person needs to be buried. In this funeral procession, look, Joseph with all his servants, the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, the elders of Egypt, the household of Joseph and his brothers, they all went, except for the little ones. They went to Goshen. They, the little ones were left in Goshen. They all traveled to that place in Canaan where, where Jacob wanted to be buried. Meron pa. There also went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a great company. In the Philippines, no? 
Vroom, right? You have police escort. During their time, what? Horses and chariots. It was a big funeral. If you were there during the time of Nino Yakino, how many people were on the streets of Edsa? When Cory Aquino died, how many people were lining in the streets for their beloved president, our beloved president, right? You will know. There is something to be said about a huge funeral, right? About the person who just died. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a great and sorrowful lamentation. And he observed seven days of mourning for his father. So there are a lot of days already of mourning. Forty days of embalming, the Egyptians wept for him seventy days, and then they traveled, and there was still seven days of weeping and crying. It's a great company. Lots of people. Now when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. Therefore, it was named Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. They were now in the land of Canaan. The Canaanites observed this great company, this funeral procession. And in their observation, they said, this is a grievous mourning for the Egyptians. So much so that they changed the name of that place. They changed the name to Abel Mizraim, which means the meadow of Egypt. Again, these are Canaanites. They are not Egyptians. But out of respect, their awe of this great procession, this great funeral procession, they even changed the name. There is a name. It used to be called South Superhighway. Some of you refer to it as the South Suffer Highway. It is now changed to Pablo Ocampo. Now, when I saw it, Pablo Ocampo, I was reminded, my friend, my co-worker, used to have a joke about this Pablo Ocampo when he ran for government. Vote for Pablo Ocampo. Madaling lapitan. Mahirap hanapin. Vote for Pablo Ocampo. Malinis ang record. Walang nagawa. If they change your name, if they change, your name becomes a name of a street. Wow. You are respected. You are honored. Here, they change the name of the whole place. Abel Mizraim, the meadow of Egypt. Because of the great mourning, the great funeral procession for Jacob. Thus his sons did for him as he charged them. For his son carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field for a burial site from Ephron the Hittite. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. That was his deal. After I do what I have promised, I shall return. Correct? After he buried his father, Joseph, returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, 
what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for the wrong which we did to him? Is that an honest possibility? You are Reuben. You wanted to kill Joseph. You are Judah. Instead of killing him, you sold him. Right? Now, dad is dead. What if Joseph will take revenge on us for all the wrong that we had done? In their fear, what did they do? Verse 16, they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before he died, saying, You remember this? Why were they afraid that now that Jacob is dead, Joseph might take revenge? You remember this? Genesis 27, 41. Esau bore a grudge against whom? Against Jacob. Why? Because of the blessing which he, which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Sounds familiar? Jacob stole Esau's blessing. Esau was the firstborn. He should have gotten the blessing. But they deceived Isaac. And the blessing went to Jacob. So Esau said, When dad is gone, you will be gone too. So they were right to be fearful. They were right to be afraid. Because they were the ones who did all of these things to Joseph. So what was the servant going to say? Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. In all our studies, in the chapters in Genesis, from the time that Joseph was sold to this time. Do you recall any time, one verse, even half a verse, that says that his brothers asked for forgiveness from Joseph? No. Only in Genesis 50, verse 17. Even after Joseph rescued them from the drought, even when Joseph brought them into Egypt, even when they were blessed, they never asked forgiveness from Joseph. Never. It's only in Genesis 50, verse 17. Please forgive me. Please forgive us. And then what happened? And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. You see, friends, we must learn to forgive. When we do not forgive, 
we bear a grudge. That grudge becomes bitterness. And you may say, oh, I've forgiven that person. But the moment you think about that person, the moment you see about that person, it all comes back. May I suggest, you have not yet forgiven that person. When Joseph's siblings asked for forgiveness, ngayon lang kayo humingi ng patawat. Kapal ng mukha nyo. No. He just wept. He just wept. His heart was finally, well, his heart was touched that finally his brothers have asked for forgiveness. Then his brothers also came. You see, messenger muna eh. Baka magalit. Right? Messenger muna. And then when the messenger perhaps saw that Joseph was touched and was crying, then the rest come in. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Imagine. Husband and wife, when you quarrel, Nag-sorry na ako, ha? Why are you bringing that up again? I already said I'm sorry. Ano ka ba? Unforgiving ka naman. Oh, oh you laugh. Why? Because we do it, right? We do it. You never tell your husband, you never tell your wife, will you please forgive me? I'm your servant. <laughs> Hello? You never do that. But you, by, by saying that, you're actually submitting yourself to the person with whom you're asking for forgiveness. You are what? Remember the message? Over or under? You are asking to be under. Will you please forgive me? That's why in our discipleship groups, I tell people, okay, don't say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. And you ask for forgiveness for your contribution to the conflict. Marina, isn't that what I have been telling our group? Yes. Can you please forgive me for being disrespectful? Can you please forgive me for being unloving? See? So they asked for forgiveness. And Joseph wept and they presented themselves even as his servants. So how did Joseph respond to all of this? But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? Why do you think Joseph would say this? He has the power. Yes? Yes or no? Yes. He's number two in Egypt. He could command anything. To whom will he be accountable to? That is God. I'm the one in power. Right? But what is his point of view? What is his perspective? Am I in God's place? Who am I not to forgive? Am I in God's place? Why? Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, 
I will repay, says the Lord. Again, you remember the recipe? God's word, God's way, God's time, God's best. What is God's best for your enemy? I don't know. But many times when we mess up, when we intervene in God's recipe, doesn't make sense. So, what is the Bible telling us? Leave room for God. Who knows what is best to be done for such and such a person, for such a situation? It is God. Therefore, leave room for God. Do not take matters into your own hands. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Who said this? The Lord. Are you the Lord? I'm not the Lord. So I leave room for God. He will take whatever needs to be done. Joseph said, Do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? Verse 20. As for you, you meant it for evil against me. But God meant it for good. You see that? You meant it for evil. But in God's sovereign grace, God meant it for good. What do you mean God meant it for good? To bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God allowed you to plot to kill me. God allowed you to sell me. God allowed me to go to jail. God allowed me the gift to interpret for Pharaoh. God allowed me to be number two in the whole land of Egypt. God allowed me to bring all of the produce into Egypt for the seven years of plenty. God allowed me to prepare for the seven years of drought. God allowed me to bring you and our father from Canaan to Egypt to preserve you. Why? Because from the tribe of Judah comes the lion of Judah, comes Jesus the Messiah. God meant it for evil. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for what? For good. Many times in the present situation, we do not understand why God will allow this, why God will allow that. That's why yesterday, when I was with Alvin, I was praying. And I said, God, if this is from the evil one, then we rebuke the, the, the attempts of the evil one. Why do I say that? Because, he, look, there's a plan to dedicate his house on August the 6th. Now, when you dedicate, it means I'm declaring this piece of property, my life, my children, they are dedicated, set apart for the Lord. Who do you think does not like that? The devil. When I ask you, can you come and share a testimony? Many times what happens? You quarrel with your wife. You quarrel with your children. Why? The devil wants to trip you up. So I have to be balanced. Is this also partly a spiritual attack? Or is just this something that's really physiological or medical in nature? 
I try my best to cover all bases because I do not know. God knows. I'm still praying that God will grant Alvin the miracle that even before they do the surgery, we, we can, where's the lamp? You believe God can do that? Are you praying about that? I hope so. Lord, if it is your will, remove the lamp. Dumbfound the doctors. Shira, MRI? Nangyari? Is this the right film? Huh? It was yesterday. Where is it now? Can, can that happen? Yes. Of course. If you don't believe, read what God can do. God can communicate even through a donkey. Oh, tingin kayo, why do I look like a donkey? <laughs> God can use a donkey to talk to the donkey's master. Read your Bible if you don't believe me. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Now where in the New Testament do we know this verse? Some of you have it as your favorite verse. And we know what? And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Who knows? Who can appreciate that all of these things work together for good? All things work together for good for whom? For those who love God. Only for those who love God can appreciate that all these things, both good and bad, have a divine purpose. What else? For those who love God and are what? Who are called according to His purpose. And what is God's purpose for calling you, for calling me? Where can we find that? Right after. For those whom He foreknew, he also predestined what? To become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among brethren. So you are called. You are called for a purpose. And that purpose is to be more and more like Christ. And what is the process that God allows for this growth to take place in? It's called discipleship. You see? In bold, what does it mean? What does it say? Make disciples. Right? That's why disciples are made. They are not born. There is a process. It's called discipleship. It's a discipleship relationship. You see, when Joseph said, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He knew that God is up to something. Now, that's, that's the, the scriptures we've read through the whole Genesis is silent about when Joseph exactly had a relationship with God. It didn't tell us that one day he knelt down and, you know, there was a... No, but, but as you read it, all of a sudden, why is he like this? Why is he like that? But God's presence was with him. And he was bold enough to declare to his siblings, 
You meant it for evil for me. But God meant it for good to preserve this generation. So to assure them, he said this. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and for your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the son of Makir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. So how many generations? Three generations. So he lived many, many more years in the land of Egypt. He was able to see his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. One of them was even born on his knees. Imagine that. And Joseph said to his brothers in verse 24, I'm about to die. So again, you have a period of silence. What happened to Joseph when he returned all the way until his death? We know that he had forgiven his brethren, right? He even he's even assured them, you're taken care of. Don't worry. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised an oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Then Joseph made his son, the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from, up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Abraham died. Isaac died. Jacob died. Joseph died. They were all God-fearing men. But they died. Joseph requested that he also be buried, that they will take his bones. But when he died in Egypt, what happened? The last line. After he lived 110 years, he died, he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, who is this person? That is not Joseph, okay? <laughs> he, does, he may look embalmed, but he is not embalmed, believe me. Okay, that's of course, that's me. Behind me is a museum in Egypt. We cannot bring cameras inside. Very strict. Because inside you have, you know, King Tut is there. The tomb of Nefertiti is there. There are a lot of archaeological artifacts, right? Now, when you go inside, of course, you pass through security. Of course, the people line up to the most famous stuff, right? They want to go to King Tut. Oh, the line is very long. Not, let's not go there. Let's go around. So we were walking, everyone, pots, you know, jars. and this, Everyone was there in the tombs and everything. We were just there. And then, as I said, because we cannot take a picture. At the back, nobody was, you know, nobody was there. There's a coffin. Very normal, undecorated, nothing. No, no fanfare, no nothing. And there's a small sign. I, I do not recall if it was on top or just at the bottom. Here lie a man 
who believe in one God. Who in the Bible do I know who lived in Egypt who believed in one God? Then I had to, you know, put on my Bible teacher hat. But wait, his bones are not to be buried in Egypt. But if we go back, Genesis 50, verse 26, they place him in a coffin. So wow, I was, I was blessed again. God, did I see? Is this the coffin where they buried Joseph, the dreamer? Wow. I have goosebumps again just thinking about it. I was scouring through my computer. Where is it? Then I remembered you cannot take pictures inside pala. Here is the latest statistics. Whoops. Sorry. My bad. Unless you want to sing again. Here are the latest statistics. Okay, 100% proven to. One hundred percent. All of us will die. Whether you're a good person, whether you're a bad person. Whether you know the Lord, whether you don't know the Lord. All of us. We will all die someday. Hebrews 9.27 says, Inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after comes judgment. All people will die. All people will face judgment. Some who have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ will face a judgment as two rewards. Destiny has already been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Those who do not know Jesus Christ will face a judgment of eternal damnation in hell. If you have Jesus Christ, okay, your reward here. And what is the greatest reward? To be with Jesus in heaven. We'll all die. Here is an appointment that many of us want to avoid. Look at Hebrews 9.27 again. It is appointed. So you have appointments. There are some appointments you like to keep. There are some appointments you do not like to keep. Dental appointment. If you're afraid of the dentist, you don't want to go. You don't want to make sufficient time. But you cannot escape this appointment. Disappointment will come one day or sooner for some, later for others. So what will it be? Who do they say? What do they say of you? Because Jesus himself tells us, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You can be the best of whatever it is you are. You can be the best hotelier. You can be the best finance manager. You can be the best architect. You can be the best whatever. And the Bible is reminding us, what good is that if you exchange that for your soul? It is just an exchange because look, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? It's just an exchange. Salvation is an exchange. My life 
for eternal life. Is that a good deal? That's the best deal I can offer you. That's offered by Jesus Christ. What will it profit a man if he gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you giving up? Let me show you. You remember that great, great funeral procession? You remember that? All the family, all the elders of Egypt, all the chariots and horses, they went to bury, uh, they went with Joseph to bury Jacob. You remember that? Well, how about this man? You know this man? Hey, keep it there, guys. You know this man? You know why you don't know this man? Because he is my first cousin. That's why you don't know him. You don't know him. But let me share you some things about him. This is their house in Bacolod. Big house, huh? Big? I think it's seven bedrooms. They had like 15 dogs at one time because they had a big lot. Behind that is a creek. Behind the creek is Bacolod Golf and Country Club. Okay? So, he was able to amass all of these accolades, all of these trophies during his career. This is just a small picture of his many, many trophies and awards. It's like their whole sala was full of trophies and awards. They even had it at one time put on display in one of the malls. Yeah, but you don't know him. That was his career. Golfer. Okay? That's him. February 28, 1966. Some of our children were still ideas. Why is he in the front page of the Manila Times? Why? Because at that instance, with his hand raised up, he was the only amateur to win the Philippine Golf Open Championships, even beating all the professionals. He topped everything. Okay? And then, you see that? He is the first Filipino, the first Asian golfer to be invited to the most prestigious golf tournament called the Masters in Augusta, Georgia. Is he a famous guy? Why don't you know him? Be honest. Why don't you know him? Some people know some people. Some people just don't know. Right? In all his accolades, where am I going with this, you might ask? In all his accolades, in all his triumphs, he died alone. He died alone. For several days, his body was on a gurney covered with a blanket. It was put on the side of the hallway of the mortuary. Why? The, his relationships, they're siblings. 
Some of them died. Some of them don't even go to pay respects to the dead. What's that, what does that say of his relationships? I'm not putting him down. But what I'm saying is, if your relationships are right, they're all dysfunctional, and they're all broken, when it's your time to die, the owner of the mortuary, when the owner of the mortuary found out that it was Golem Silverio, who was there, covered, we have to put him in a room at least. Because when they found out who he was, this guy represented the Philippines. He was with President Marcos in Malacanang. He had all, uh, accolades and distinctions. He had girlfriends left and right from all kinds of nationalities because he was so famous. And then you are there in the gurney, covered. Nobody there to claim you. Isn't that sad? Whereas, if we contrast that to Jacob and to Joseph, he was dearly loved. He didn't have a family. All of the monies that he earned went to an adopted son. The executor of his estate is my cousin who lives in Canada. But while they were waiting for my cousin to fly home from Canada to the Philippines, he just stayed there in the corner. Very sad. Very sad. Who do they say I am? I submit to you that when our time comes, the people who will be at our funeral, they are the ones who will tell us who we are. Jesus asked the same question in Mark 27. He questioned his disciples saying, Who do people say that I am. People can have a lot of opinions about you. And Jesus asked, Who do the people say I am? And his disciples answered. They told him, uh, John the Baptist? Others say Elijah? Others, one of the prophets? And he continued by questioning them. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And one of them, Peter, answered and said to him, You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. Jesus may be asking you this morning, Who do they say I am? May I ask you to personalize that question. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he your Messiah? Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? All you need to do is trust him at his word. He said in John 1, he came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe 
in His name. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If somebody asks you, who are you? And you say, I'm a child of God. What gives you that right? Well, I'm good. I go to church. I read my Bible. I, I give my tithes. No. Look at the qualification. As many as receive him, to them he gave them the right to be called children of God, even those who what? Believe in his name. Therefore, for you to claim that you are a child of God, you must first believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He has paid for all of, all of your sins, and it is only through Him that you can have eternal life. Second, you must receive Him. Receive Him into your heart as your Savior and Lord. When those two things happen, God gives you the right to call yourself a child of God. And what happens? In verse 13, you were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have received Him into your life as your personal Lord and Savior, God is telling you, He has given you the right to call yourself a child of God. And because of that, Verse 13, you have been born again. Born not, what? Not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but born of God. Then when people ask you, who do you, who do you think I am? Or who are you? I'm a child of God. I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. Oh, how can you claim? You're so proud. You're so arrogant. Sir, John 1, 11 to 13 tells me, and he tells you, as many as receive him, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. Have you been born again? Let's not debate about that born-again thing because people are taking it. But that is what the Bible is telling us. If I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and I receive Him into my life as my Lord and Savior, I accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I'm born again. That's it. has nothing to do with being part of CCF. But it means when the time of your judgment comes, you remember that appointment? You remember that appointment? It is appointed for man to die once and then face judgment, when you come to that appointment, oh, son, daughter, here. The other one, who did not make this decision, oh, over there. No matter how much you claim that you are a child of God, if the father does not recognize you as the child, Nothing. Too late. Who do they say I am? Who do you say Jesus Christ is to you? Our testimony, the way we live our lives will be borne out 
when we are in the coffin and we will see what the people who we leave behind will say about us. But for the meantime, we have to answer that question. Who do I say Jesus Christ is? Let's pray. God, since we studied the book of Genesis, you already told us time and time again that you have a plan. And that plan is to redeem man from his sin. That plan of redemption comes about, has come about, and will continue to be about Jesus Christ. We see, Lord, how you have operated through the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Even foretelling that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. God, you really must love us very much to go through all of these things just so that your son Jesus Christ could come to, be, to earth to be born, to die, to pay for our sins and rise up again. God, if there is anyone here who has not yet received and believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, brother or sister, will you take this opportunity now and put your faith in Jesus. Put your trust in God. Believe that He's the only way for you to be saved. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who was worthy to die for the full payment of your sins. Believe that He is God. Believe that He is the Son of God. And open your heart to Him. Receive Him. Invite Him into your life. And if you just did that just now by faith, then the Bible is telling you that God has given you the right to call yourself a child of God. The Bible says that you have been born again. If you're here this morning and you really are a child of God, but are struggling with living out, being a child of God, can you also tell God you're struggling and you're confessing your need for the Holy Spirit to help you to become more and more like Christ? We all need that, some more than others. We'll give the Holy Spirit a few moments to work in our lives this morning. God Almighty, we can't love you back more than you have expressed how much you love us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, for those who just were born again this morning, that you will affirm and confirm in their heart of hearts that they are your, child of, your children of God. And that they need to be connected to a group who will help them know you through the Bible, encouraged and be encouraged in a deep group. And for those of us, Lord, who need your strength on a daily basis, allow us the humility, Lord God, to ask 
for your help and you are ready, able and willing to give that help Lord God we just want to lift up to you again our brother Alvin our brother Aaron and our kids who are driving down from the mountaintops God bless each one of them and give them brother Aaron and brother Alvin the healing, the physical healing that they need Lord God and we are careful to give you back the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Glory to God. We continue with our discussion questions. What do you think people will say about you when you are gone from this world? Why will, why will they say that of you? And what will you do beginning today, beginning today to have a positive Epitaph. 